welcome back to another episode of Horror Cats and Witch Hats. It's Katie and Izzy, and we have the finale to a three-parter of a full week <laughs> that has taken a toll on both of us, I'm not going to lie. Yes, so. we're definitely going back to the every other week uh, episode after this. Yeah. And but as it'll be great. she said, these last week has been a culminating into this finale of The Conjuring. The devil made me do it. Because it came out just this month. 2021. And... What a year. <laughs> I know. We're getting lots of good stuff this year, I think. Mm-hmm. But this one was directed by, guess what? Not James Wan. He passed the reins off to Michael Chavez, which he worked with on The Curse of La Llorona. And I guess James felt, in his interviews, he's like quoted as saying that Michael could do these types of films better. I mean, arguable based off James Wan history compared to Michael's, but you know, whatever. But he, the, has, he has an understanding of them. That's, I think, the point. And James doesn't want to get like trapped into this franchise um he started many franchises we talked about insidious saw and if he doesn't pass off the reins he'd never get to do new stuff (laughs) so and and that's exactly why he continues to pass on the reins because he knows that those will continue for at least a little while and then he's already started another thing so he has many projects that are very successful and he builds the fan base and it's up to everybody else to keep it so uh, the only other thing that Michael Chavez is really credited for that's big is Billie Eilish, Billie Eilish's <laughs> music video. Uh, it was Bury a Friend. Bury a Friend. You're right. It was a good song. <laughs> uh, just like Conjuring 2, the script for this was written by David Leslie Johnson, Mick Goldrick, who um, is also working on the second orphan film, which you kept saying the first one was overrated or underrated. 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 Nobody has seen it and it's just so good. So the fact they're making a second one speaks to your idea. I wonder if Vera is going to be in it because Vera is in the first one as the mother. I haven't Boop. seen it as well, so I don't know how the storyline goes. Oh, well, Vera is in it. She's a mom. Just I saying. guess we'll have to do that one before that one comes out. I love out. it. I- that yeah, would only be a totally two <laughs> There we go. Uh, the cast is also the same. Patrick Wilson, Ed Warren, Vera Farman, Lorraine Warren, <laughs> uh, Arnie Cheyenne Johnson, who plays the main haunty, is Ruari O'Connor. That's the most interesting first name in the world. His He has a very interesting look, so it fits. Mm-hmm. His girlfriend, Dave Davey. I almost called him David. Okay. Debbie Glatzel <laughs> is Sarah Catherine Hook. Uh, the eight-year-old, who is also a haunty, David Glatzel, played by Julian Hilliard. You will know him if you've seen The Haunting of Hill House. He plays the little brother, Luke. Just saying. He's a wonderful little actor for he, his age. I'm not going to lie. He's, he's so good. He's so precious. He's so funny. Uh, he looks like the kid who plays in Stuart Little. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you and I watched that enough as a child too. So yeah, they look very similar, but he is just, they, they I just want to squeeze his face. I'm like, you are the cutest little thing and I just want to love you. Uh, I know. There's and a, the glasses are just perfect. <laughs> I know. They're so cute. There is a 
Father Kastner, who's played by John Noble. The protagonist, right? Antagonist? Antagonist. Hey, the occult. Antagonist, yeah. <laughs> She's just labeled like the occultist. Uh, they don't really yeah. give her her name. Uh, it's played by Eugene Bondurant, who looks absolutely perfect for an evil person. Um, she really does. She's very, very creepy looking. She looks she looks like she should have eyes that roll on the back of her head and that she has visions. 100%. They make her... She is perfect for this role. That's what I have to say. She is absolutely perfect for this role. Yes. And then, of course, we have Drew again, played by Shannon Cook. Because he's awesome. Uh, Michael Chavez is also quoted saying that the Conjuring movies are always these love letters to horror movies. Um, so we're going to try and point out Easter eggs along the way. There's a... We've, got a couple of articles that have helped us out with this but um for example which is something that i can't believe we haven't noticed throughout the entire goddamn series of these movies is that ed's tie is always matching the same fabric as lorraine's of something in lorraine's outfit and i maybe it's because i always was just looking in the background trying to figure out like if there's something going to happen in the background not so much paying attention to like his neck like whatever but all three movies they're all matching and it kills me that i didn't see this i know the i think we've talked about this before but the haunting of hill house like ruined me for horror movies because all i want to do is look in the background for stuff so Mm -hmm. i miss all those like really small little things the small little details that are like the perfect little hints and that's so like that's a no you go i was gonna say that's one of the reasons i love these movies is because every detail of these movies is thought out and purposeful and yeah, like you said, like I've noticed that their color schemes match before, but I've never noticed that like his tie is literally made right. from like the same fabric as her skirt or something. Right, exactly. And so that it's just a cute little like addition to their whole love story of God brought us together for a reason. <laughs> yeah, it's just that this <gasps> underlying this horror film is just this epic love story uh, between Ed and Lorraine. So, mm-hmm. and. With that, again, this is going to be kind of a deep dive because this is a new movie and there's a lot of details and we love it. So put up with it. There's a lot of details. So just a heads up. And then we're going to get but it's worth it. just as much detail afterwards about all the true life stuff in the behind the scenes. So it's going to be a long Correct. ass episode. <laughs> Correct. But you will love every second of it. Stick with us. There's going to be cats involved at some point. Whether they're crawling over things or not. Maybe I'll just <laughs> meow. It'll, well, it, it's there <laughs> is there a cat in this movie no there there's is not... no fucking cats in movies anymore <laughs> there is not a single cat in any of these movies no so upsetting we need a crookshanks god damn it he's a fluffy little kitty he is actually part weasel did you know that he's a hybrid cat which is why he's so intelligent and can figure out things like the whomping willow um uh, funny stuff, as fuck stuff like that yeah that's one of those little side notes that uh, J.K. Rowling throws out because she can't move on. Mm-hmm. But anyways. This it's the only thing keeping her money still. Anyways. This film opens in 1981, Brookfield, Connecticut. And the this movie starts differently from all the others, which was my first clue that it was not James Wan. So in mm-hmm. all the other ones, we've talked about how the openings for the main hauntings were so beautifully done. Because you go from, like, you're either inside the house already or you're moving into the house. 
and like a so it's like you're way. giving the house a character its own personality so you have a feel for the house itself at that point yes and that's where you start and this one does not start I, start that way but i i love it i love it i love this house like it's a corner i want this house so fucking bad i've never seen a house like this so it's a corner house so the door is on the corner of the house it doesn't have like a front facing so when you walk in it's incredibly open just immediately well and then you have three entryways it's so fucking perfect i love this house and i want it so so bad but this opening is also not just a hint that it wasn't James Wan. It's not like a directional choice. It also is hinting that this story is not a haunted house. All the other ones were yes. haunted house based. This one moves. So that's right. like your first clue that this is a different kind of evil. Yeah. Uh, so they zoom into the house. It's trashed. There's a beautiful chandelier trashed on the floor. There's these big gashes on the wall. And you find out that Lorraine and Ed are there to investigate the possession of an eight-year-old. That is the age of my child, and that would terrify me. Um, his yeah, name man. Is David Glatzel. So it opens up, and they are the family, which is mom, dad, David, his older sister, and her boyfriend. Boyfriend are in the living room with Ed and Lorraine, and they are praying because they are waiting for Father Gordon to arrive to start this exorcism. Mm-hmm. And then they just stop praying and they're like, okay, David, go ahead and just go to sleep. And I'm like, um, you expect this child to sleep? What? <laughs> not in his own room, not alone, not in the dark. There's no fucking chance I'd be sleeping. And that's but. when hauntings happen. And so I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know why you thought this kid would sleep. So then. But I have an Easter egg. Wait, hold on. It's not oh. there yet. I thought you were. I'm just okay. kidding. You can go. <laughs> well, I, was, I was like, I was like, wait. Um, so this is where our first Easter egg comes up because this is a big. I mean, most most people who first see this opening scene know exactly what it's trying to put an image of in your head, and it's it recreates the most famous scene see, that you uh, see in the 1973's The Exorcist, one of the very first movies that really dealt with like an actual exorcist, where you see. Um, Father Mirren arrive at Reagan's um, at Reagan's house, getting out of a taxi, and it's just a beautiful dark, dark scene. And with this corner house, it just makes it look so fucking cool. <laughs> the side by side photos of them are pretty phenomenal. It's pretty, yeah. Um, but it also nods to Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, where uh, Father Gordon looks at the house before walking to the front door, and he sees Arnie putting David to bed. And the the mirrors in Psycho, when Marion uh, Crane is spotted the mother in the window with the Bates Motel, it's basically recreating that. So, like, it's that curtain scene, kind of, in, in Psycho. But more so to The Exorcist, because I don't think anybody else could have actually, like, not not seen that it's part. It's more <laughs> obvious than the it's other It's very one. obvious. You're not going to see... And, I mean, I guess if you're like us, we look in the background fairly often for that kind of stuff. But I was so focused on the house because I fell in love with the house immediately that like I. I just want that house. I've never seen a house with a corner door like that. I I mean, I've seen them before and I've always loved them, but they're rare. It's very rare. They're very rare. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So once the father pulls up to the house, this is when David, you for- get like the first instances instances of him being haunted Mm -hmm. um like the demon can feel that 
a holy presence type deal is near and is like fuck this yeah so poor david he starts to hear knocking on the walls but when he hears these knocking on the walls it's not just three times like you've always heard with the the mocking of the trinity the holy trinity but instead it's four times which also kind of nods to maybe this is like a different kind of evil um so david runs into his bathroom he's hiding in his tub shower it's like a is it a claw i think it's like a claw foot it's, it's yeah yeah it's a cloth it's a cloth cloth bathtub with a ring curtain around it and then this little black hand like comes over the top Ew. it looks like the the rings of the uh of the shirt shower curtain there we go and then you see a move and i was the first one and i was like you guys see it too right and everybody's like what and i was like the fucking hand and they're like oh oh Oh, I mm. thought it was very obviously different than everything else. I did, else, too. But it, it was I did too, but. super creepy. Um, and then blood starts shooting from all of the spouts in the shower. That, that could be... Uh, so, I would be terrified if that was going on in the first place. Like, fuck that. Um, but this is a kind of a throwback. It, well, it could be a throwback to um, Psycho's Thriller. Psycho's Thriller. <laughs> Also known as Hitchcock's Psycho, <laughs> which is a thriller. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, I'm going to start that over. So this could be another throwback to Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, where you see um, Marion get stabbed in the bathtub. Granted, you don't get the blood because it's all black and white, but it could be a throwback to that. It also slightly reminds me of carry i know it's not like a bucket of pig's blood but it's blood all over um and slightly of the new it but that's just because the blood comes out of the faucet and covers beverly in blood so i was thinking the carry it's a bloody scene but But yeah that's purely just because of all the blood not necessarily because of like correct it wasn't intended um but i think the psycho thing is uh i think michael has specifically said in articles like this was a nod to psycho i'm sure it's it's a i mean alfred hitchcock is a true horror man but um, but this is probably my favorite haunting that i've seen in these movies it's more like the exorcist type of haunting it's like a traditional haunting where correct the person being haunted is the only one who's seeing and hearing all of these things it's not everybody else and it's like the visions and the blood and the creepy hand and i love this type of haunting and we I know it's great that he is the only one seeing these things because he starts screaming and then his family breaks into the bathroom and he's not even in the shower at this point he is like crouched in the corner kind of it's like a weird design but he's crouched in the corner and it's a perfectly clean bathroom and his dad's like are you okay and then he comes charging at his dad with like a broken shard or something and stabs him in the leg and then he starts wiggling the blade thing around because he is like truly evil (laughs) (laughs) and the so then ed scoops him up and he's like running him downstairs and this part confused me okay so father gordon is like let's just take him to the church um if that's an option why 
not just take him to the church in the first place and do the exorcism there because it sounds like they sat there waiting for a very long time for the father to grow like not grow up but get there (laughs) yeah so they waited for the father to get there for him to be like let's put him in a taxi curse this taxi and this taxi driver and take him to the church and i was like why not just like i get in my head i understand why you can't take him to the church because it would piss off the demon but why even offer that like if that's not even i don't know it was a weird thing to put in there and i disagree with it but anyways uh, i agree (laughs) they decide not to (laughs) obviously well ed's like there's no time we have to do it for all the reasons that caitlin just said (laughs) exactly uh so as they're like pulling him down the stairs the kid is he's like thrown over Ed's shoulder and the kid is like scratching the walls but he's not actually touching them but it looks like he's like trying to grab him with like pretend demon nails and uh-huh it's scratching the wall and i think this is like a beautiful image of um just like having so much strength but being stuck in like a weak body mm-hmm. and it makes me think of like all those cartoon characters like a the mice that are like so tough and brave but then like a person will just scoop them up and be like shut up mouse and throw them against the wall kind of a thing (laughs) because this is like some super strong obviously intense demon but it's trapped in an eight-year-old's body so they can just like throw him around and do whatever yeah and then they start the exorcism so lorraine touches david to help hold him down or like soothe him or something and then she starts getting a vision of like a ritual taking place But she is seeing it from, like, first person. So she's seeing it from her own perspective as she is that person that's doing this. Yes. And that's a really cool image to see. I thought that was shot very well. And David gets really quiet. Suddenly all their stuff starts flying around. There's, like, this really loud music in the background. They start switching, like, the lighting and it's bouncing around from person to person. And the only reason I bring that up is because I hate that. I feel like it was like a tornado inside. It was a lot. And it's a theme that goes on very often throughout this movie. Um, It's very different than what I had talked about in the other two movies where Juan is very subtle with his horror. He doesn't feel like the loud music needs to be underplaying the creepy demon sounds. And like he lets those things speak for himself. And -hmm. I feel like there's a lot of horror movies where... They try and over-excite your senses with the flashing noise, the, I'm sorry, the flashing lights, like the shaking and the loud music and stuff because it stresses your body system, which makes you feel like you're afraid. So it's like a cheap thrill kind of a thing. And I hate it. I and like it this. works. <laughs> I like this movie, but I hate that. I have very sensitive, like auditory Mm-hmm. stuff so like when it gets really loud i don't i hate it like i don't want to watch it anymore i just want to turn it off um right I, I saw this in theaters first and it was way too loud and overwhelming for me but yeah i haven't braved theaters yet <laughs> moving on so this is another nod to frederick to william Fredrickson's classic which includes the blue ch- the blue pajamas that david wears is a is a flashback to what reagan is wearing she's in a blue nightgown and then his body is also contorting which mimics in mimics reagan in certain movements that he does and it's gross and it's great and it's gross and it's creepy <laughs> see like those contorting sounds um lucy agrees 
But those contorting sounds yeah. are far creepier than any music that you could put, right? Like the snapping bones and stuff. Oh, it's so bad. And like seeing like, obviously it was a stunt double, but seeing a little kid snap like that is absolutely horrifying. That's also one of the most noticeable in these three movies, cgi that's happened. Because um, you can clearly tell that his face has been plastered onto a different body. <laughs> but yeah. Um, it's still creepy. The only other thing that I like really want to emphasize here, because it made me laugh, um, the priest gets like hit in the head by something flying around the room. <laughs> Just a tornado inside of the house, but he gets smacked in a, in the head with like a pan or something. <laughs> um, but he go he like falls to the ground and he has like a little gash on his head, but he's still conscious and everything. And Ed like stops everything and he's like, "Oh my gosh, get a first aid kit!" Um, and the priest is like, "Oh, I'm okay. Just keep going." And I couldn't help but think like. They're one priorities, right? You're in the middle of an exorcism. <laughs> the priest will be fine. Two, his dad literally got stabbed in the leg where a massive artery is, and nobody was like, "Hey, get the first aid kit, <laughs> put a bandaid yeah, on this he, man." That, that whole thing, like they stayed upstairs. You don't even see the parents until later again. <laughs> um, I just thought that was kind of funny. Just it was weird. Yeah, but I, I mean, I get that that was like his friend and he has history. Uh, so then yeah. it takes over the exorcism arnie starts talking to it and he's like stop doing that come at me he's like come at me bro (laughs) and ed's like stop talking to it because you know if you acknowledge it you give it power Um, Mm -hmm. plus you're like tempting it so that distracts everybody david right as that happens everything fucking blows apart david slash demon jumps onto ed and basically stops his heart arnie scoops him up and is like take me instead and then there's this beautiful moment where you see the demon because you can see that david is possessed they're really like we said Uh they're great about that so telling the difference um it drains like leaves his eyes and hits arnie's and i just want to point out the eyes are not yellow because we talked about in the other episode all the demons or the ghost possessions their eyes mm-hmm. are yellow. That's how you tell. These ones are like slate gray with like the black veiny thing going on. Yeah. But that's a second clue that you get that this is a different kind of evil that they're facing. Yeah. Uh, and then basically it ends. So um, it kicks off. Well, Ed, let me let me just also point out is Ed is the only one that sees this transfer happen. Nobody else notices nor actually sees arnie take that evil from david and so therefore he's the only one that knows and then passes out and almost dies (laughs) and so just like all the other movies it starts out with like an intense seemingly not applicable haunting right um but then you get the intro scene lorraine looks so disheveled and wild it's a great film it's like a great shot uh Oh, the man, hospital. they make her look so old. I'm so old. I just have to say that. They do a great job. Like, she is stressed and worn out. That was the mm-hmm. point. Plus, she had, like, that psychic attack during the exorcism. Right, exactly. So, they do a wonderful job. Because she doesn't look as wild later. So, no, it's great. Uh, they're in the hospital. You find out Ed basically almost died. He's in critical condition. You see Judy all grown up. She's, like, going to college. Um, And then it just jumps, again, another Conjuring movie that jumps back and forth. It jumps to Arnie, 
who is like having some sort of nightmare. And then Debbie runs in, who is David's sister, and wakes him up. And she's like, get up, sleepyhead. Their love story is fairly strong. You can tell that she loves him. And like, this is kind of a love story for them, too. So this movie was set up to portray their love story as a mirror to kind of Ed and Lorraine's. This is a... This is where you see another Easter egg. I lost count of my Easter eggs, let's be honest here. Um, so there's no more numbers. <laughs> but when Debbie wakes, Ar- um, wakes Arnie up, there's a little nun statue in the background, and it's supposed to be a nod to Valak, which additionally, you can see the painting from The Conjuring 2 later in the, um, in the artifact room. So like I said, you always see Ed's paintings kind of randomly show up again because he paints all of his cases which i still stop don't hang a fucking nun portrait (laughs) so quick side note because i didn't throw this in later but because you brought up paintings uh Mm. in real life ed would paint people's houses who were being haunted as like a way to be like hey i painted this beautiful picture of your house can we come in (laughs) um that was like kind of how he warmed the family up to him but it's like his introduction kind of yeah um anyways so arnie wakes up and he's like wow we should leave brookfield now that your family is like on the straight and narrow she says we're too poor where would we even go my family's here i just started this cool new job uh she and he live above a kennels which she manages that's their new like cool job and they are allowed to stay there for free because she's managing it Um, And then they go to a family barbecue where everyone just seems like so hunky-dory. But they don't tell you at all during this film, like, how much time has passed. And it drives me nuts. Um, Yeah, that's one thing I was really missing is I wanted to know how much time it really took. Unless this was just, like, a day-to-day basis. In which case, they're all hunky-dory, like, the next fucking day. But because (laughs) the only thing that shows time passing um, is Ed because of the way that he is getting better is recovering yes yeah yes you're right that's the word uh that's the only time lapse that you really get so it's really hard to follow uh but yeah they're like acting all hunky-dory and then arnie goes inside to get the meat for the barbecue and then you can see that like their house is still destroyed so even though they're mm-hmm. all happy um the inside is still like scarred basically yeah uh, and then arnie is picking up the meat and he turns and Tyler, uh, my partner, he (laughs) thought that his prediction was that Arnie was going to start eating the raw meat, like uh, Jennifer's body. Okay. And I was like, oh, that would be so gnarly. Like, do it. But he didn't. Um, Instead, a box of cereal gets knocked over. A rat runs out of it, runs into this, like, disgusting hole in the wall. Really funny. Really funny. That was legit what I thought was going to happen because I was like, something's going to move. Something's going to move in that fucking house. And it's going to end up being like a rodent or something just to give us that scare. And then something really bad is going to happen. Because I heard that like this, the cereal make that shake sound. And instantly I was like, that shit's going to fall. Don't go over there. Just go outside. Just take the meat outside. Yeah. The like once the cereal fell over, it was pretty obvious to guess like, oh, it's going to be a rodent because they're just trying to get you to whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, they do the shop, the cheap not to not original shot where he's looking into the hole and like you you expect something to stab his eye yeah something to happen to his eye and then it doesn't and then of course um he has a vision of this creepy old lady 
and it's like a jump scare. Mm -hmm. She's like right behind him as he turns around. It's one of those scares. And then um, again, that super what could have been subtle but creepy gets kind of overwhelmed by this loud music that they threw over it for no reason. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it jumps to the hospital where Lorraine has been living in Ed's hospital room, basically. And she shares the story of how they met. And she says things like, oh, we were 16 and 17. It was basically love at first sight. Precious. That's it. Um, They met at the movies. (laughs) Which is funny because we saw them at the movies. But they're... The kids who play them in the movie are so freaking adorable. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They're pretty cute. Then it switches back to Arnie, who is at his job where he works as like some sort of landscaper type thing. I think he's just a, I think he's just a tree, like a tree cutter. Uh, But he has climbed up into a tree and I keep wanting to call it an axe. It's not an axe. It's a chainsaw. Chainsaw. Okay. I could not think of the word. Um, This moment. Were you just looking at the background the whole time? Because I was. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. As soon as I saw where he was, like, the placement of everything, I was like, look in the window. Look in the window. Yeah. Look in the window. There it is. And, I, and as soon as his chainsaw wasn't working, I was like, don't pull it again. Don't. I know it's going to fucking happen. But I've also played with chainsaws because I used to work in a haunted house and I was one of the only girls that got to do the chainsaw part. And, like, just from the effort of knowing how to pull that chainsaw, I knew something bad was going to happen being up in the air like that. <laughs> so I was like, just don't do it again. Um, and, and of course. Yep. Just like Katie said, the creepy old ladies in the background in the window, chainsaw doesn't work. And then randomly it kicks on. And so he drops it and it almost lands on a coworker. So then he's like, man, I feel sick. I should go home. And he shows up to the house or their apartment. He looks fucking terrible. When he gets to the house, he looks rough. He is pale. He's sweating profusely. Mm -hmm. He looks just out of it. Um, And then, of course, the kennel owner will not leave him alone. And he's like, dude, fix my stereo, bro. We're so Get drunk with me. Drink all the beers. Like, all this shit. And Artie's just like, I don't feel good. Let me go home. And he just doesn't. And he just will not let it go. Uh, So... Switches to Ed, who wakes up and is instantly just like, Arnie's possessed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's like, like, they're all excited. They're like, oh, my gosh, Ed. And he's like, no, you need to get the fuck to Arnie. Like, tell them. <laughs> uh, so then Arnie fixed the stereo and the awful landlord who really runs the kennels, but the poor girl does all the work, uh, is blasting this music and just being like a sloppy obnoxious drunk and he's like falling all over them and he's like dance with me and he just looks fucking miserable (laughs) yeah and there's just there's so much going on at this point like and obviously it's meant to to stir that emotion of like it's overwhelming to arnie and everything goes crazy for him but like it fucks you up watching it (laughs) this was in the theaters i was like covering my ears i was like this is obnoxious like it needs to end um because the dogs are barking in the background because they can sense the evil it's just a lot Um, yeah but just like katie said again it's it's intentional because it's supposed to be arnie's point of view um this is it's flashing back and forth because that's what's happening from him too Mm -hmm. so i guess for this scene i will let that overwhelmingness slide right um so Lorraine's calling the house, but of course they can't hear it. She calls the police and is like, you don't have to believe me, but you need to get to the Brooksfield kennels. And then it cuts back to Arnie. 
um, who's in the kitchen and she he hears Debbie screaming from the other room and he goes in well, there. Really, really fast. I just want to say, like, I love the way that she does this because she's just like, there's going to be a tragedy at this place. Like, just knows for a fact. And so, like, I mean, using the word tragedy, I think, is great. But at the same time, they're pro- the cops will be like, what the fuck? <laughs> He's like, who says that? <laughs> it's like phrased very uh, proper. It's like a very proper way to say it. To me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. So, so and back then, to Debbie and yeah. screaming. <laughs> so he walks into the room, and then it looks like the kennel owner is like eating her <laughs> or something, and he turns into like this demonic face. So Arnie freaks out, grabs Debbie. They start running away. He trips while they're in the kennels, like the kennel area. Um, turns With around. All the dogs. All the dogs are gone. All of a sudden, there's. Of course, the music is pounding. And then all of a sudden, this random red light is, like, streaming through the window. Uh, did you get that? I didn't. I don't know why the red light, but whatever. It was very insidious. It made me think of insidious. Mm-hmm. It, that is an insidious throw. Um, maybe it's just a hint at that. <laughs> maybe. Uh, and then, like, this demonic thing starts, like, crawling at him really fast. Fuck with the crawling! The fucking crawling! Don't crawl at me. <laughs> and then Arnie pulls out his pocket knife and you hear the sounds of like stabbing and Debbie freaking out. Um, yeah. And then. And then it fades to black. Yeah. <laughs> and then the next scene is Arnie just like spaced out. He's got those demon gray slate eyes just walking. It's like it's just the possessed eyes. Like it's just him walking down. the. It's what you see in the trailer. Yeah, yeah. Basically. Um, he's walking down the street covered in blood and a cop who was slowly meandering to the house after that phone call. Fucking I guess, for real. Pulls up and is like, um, hello. And then the gray fades from Arnie's eyes and he's like, I think I hurt someone. And I'm like, no fucking shit, guy. You're covered in blood. <laughs> like, well done, sir. You should get a degree. <laughs> yes. Would you like to be our new Sherlock? Uh, so then it skips to Arnie is in prison and he's reading from a Bible and they have all the holy relics around him and he's doing just fine. Ed's in a wheelchair. Um, Lorraine is there watching. And my favorite character in the whole movie gets presented here and it is the prison chaplain who is clearly so out of the water or whatever that phrase is. <laughs> he looks so scared just sitting in the corner. <laughs> he's like, what the fuck is happening? Like, I am just a prison chaplain. I am not prepared for this. Um because he... they're they're basically looking to see if he's possessed so they can make a case out of possession. The prison chaplain, just every scene you see him in, he just has like this look of just like, what if, what am I doing here? And I do not get he's paid He's so enough. scared and so unprepared. It's so entertaining. Um, so then, obviously because he can read from the Bible and he's not being affected by these relics, whatever was possessing him is no longer present. But Debbie and Arnie are both like... Or Arnie is basically just like, I don't know what happened. I blacked out. It could have been me. And Debbie's like, no, fuck that. It wasn't you. I was there. You were possessed. So then the plot becomes how to prove possession in court. My favorite way is how they meet the lawyer and convince her to take the case. (laughs) So the next scene is the lawyer, um, which is a female lawyer, which at this time in history, it's the 80s. I'm not sure how prevalent that was, but I think it's cool that they took the time i I liked it yeah it was like a small thing to do but it's a cool thing to do yeah and so this is also where like 
nobody's ever used possession as a uh, a plea in court. <laughs> so this is a whole new thing. And she's like, I'm nobody's done this. It's never happened. I'm not going to take this case. Like, I cannot prove this. And they're just nonchalantly like, well, it happened in England. And they're like, yeah, but never in the U.S. And they're like, well, come over to our house. Come see our relics and our, our, our artifact room. And then... Just let us know, and, and and we'll go from there. Just take our case if we convince you after that. <laughs> Which is my favorite thing ever, because you have no idea what the hell she saw or what she... Any of that stuff. But all of a sudden, the next scene is them in court with her as his lawyer. <laughs> and she even looks, like, terrified as she's saying it. She's, yeah, you know she's, like, preparing herself to, like, stand up and just be like, I can't believe I'm saying this. Why am I fucking saying this? Well, no, I this meant, is... like, she looks terrified as in now she knows demons are real. And she has to, like, accept that reality. That, too. Yeah, that, um, too. She she does, like, the next scene, she stands up and says, um, we plead guilty by reason of demonic possession. And I want to see, like, a cut of just that little dinner that they had. <laughs> I know. And he's like, let me introduce you to Annabelle. Um, yeah, dude, like, straight was just like, we could introduce you to Ad- Annabelle. Like, it's nonchalantly, like, don't worry. You'll you'll believe after this. So I just want to add or clarify that people have claimed possession, um, like we talked about with uh, Robert DeFay. He claimed possession, but no court in the United States has accepted it as a right. valid plea. I guess so. That's what they're saying. Like there's no precedent, so they have to prove possession without him being possessed, which becomes she's like, it's all up to you. Please tell me what the fuck you find. <laughs> So then they do another beautiful transition where they are listening to the first investigation of David Glatzel, what they have on tape, which was July 18th, 1981 in the movie. And you see the first day that they moved into the house and they had such a failed opportunity for one of those sweeping camera moments that we have talked about in the other films that like you are great at describing because it walks into this corner house, like we said. Um, it's following David and with him is Arnie and Debbie. And then it does like this thing where the camera goes up to the ceiling and you expect it to kind of like sweep down in some creative way like the other ones have and follow David. But instead it just cuts and you're looking at yep. David and I was like, missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. I also just wanted to see more of the house to be completely I, honest. Yeah, me too. Because you walk in and there's three different entryways and you're like, ooh, a maze. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that people could see what you just did with your fingers. Amazing. <laughs> um, it's like jazz hands. David walks in to a room and there's this big ass waterbed, which, woo, it was the late 70s, early 80s. You want to know all I can think of when I think of a waterbed? To your parents. <laughs> you know, I think of Goofy Movie um, when they go to the hotel and there's fish in the waterbed in the hotel. That's what I think of. Also, Edward Scissorhands, because that one's just always hilarious. So the boy sits on the waterbed, and there's this beautiful, beautiful moment where he's laying on his back on the waterbed, and a mm-hmm. demon face comes up right next, right next to his head. Yes. And when you, pa- it's hard to see when you're actually watching the movie, but if you pause it, it's so creepy. So the kid feels it. He freaks out. As he's climbing off, he's like backing off the bed, and then a demon claw breaks through the bed, grabs his hand, and is like, they're just thrashing. I loved the mirroring hands thing that you saw right, right at first before that happened. Yes. I thought that was such a solid. The assistant director worked on the 1988 Nightmare on Elm Street 4, the dream, um, the, the dream master, which is a really good one, just saying. Um, 
But it's a scene. It's a it's a nod to one of their um, scenes where Freddy bursts out of a waterbed and attacks and, and like attacking a boy before killing him. And so it's kind of just a throwback to that little that little Freddy scene. There's nice little throwbacks to a lot of like classic horrors that I like. Like you said, it's a love letter to classic horrors. Exactly. <laughs> um, but then it shows David like freaked out leaning against the wall. And then it transitions to another way where Lorraine is just seeing this happening through her like vision. And it's actually later and they are back at the house just trying to figure out what happened. So Debbie's there and she's like, oh, this is the room where the waterbed used to be. The water damaged the wood floor. It's underneath the rug. They throw back the rug. It's like this rotting black wood and ed and lorraine immediately they're just instantly look at each other. like that's not water damage yeah, they're like <laughs> fuck me so they go to the crawl space it's like a cellar opening um and i love this part <laughs> would you would you crawl down there would you have crawled down there i mean in their instance yes would i have been as calm as lorraine no fuck no i would have had like a stick and be swatting all of the spider webs out from in front of me like when you go on hikes <laughs> But so Ed in this whole movie, because he is injured, he's like kind of the weak one. Sidelines. He's just sitting on the sidelines and he doesn't like to sit on the sideline. <laughs> yes. And he, he he's the comedic relief in this film. Mm-hmm. And he d- says this line. He can't do anything. Like he has a cane. He's barely out of a wheelchair. And he looks at Lorraine. And he's like, oh, you shouldn't be crawling down there. It'll ruin your skirt. And both Debbie and Lorraine just look at each other like, are you kidding me? (laughs) And so then she's like, hold my purse and hands him her purse and then goes into the crawl space. So Lorraine climbs into the cellar slash crawl space until she's under the spot where the waterbed used to be. She finds some creepy goblet thing and it's surrounded by rats, which I'm not sure if the evil brought the rats in. Or if it's just because it has, like, skulls and stuff, so they were just attracted to the dead flesh kind of thing that was in the altar. Who knows? But they're there. That's the only thing that really freaks her out. And then she has images of the vision she had during the exorcism, because this is a similar totem to the one that she saw in that, like, psychic attack. And they describe that it is a witch's totem used by Satanists. So you find out that David was cursed, which is why the eyes are gray and not yellow. Because although he's possessed, it's not the demon. I, yeah. It's not the demon's will. It's the curse that's causing it. Correct. Um, and that when Arnie challenged it, the curse was passed to Arnie. And that explains why his eyes were all gray. Um, and then you meet Drew again. Yay, Drew. I love Drew. He's awesome. And he sends out pictures of the totem to a bunch of local police because they're hoping to see if it has appeared in any other cases. Mm-hmm. Father Gordon takes a look at the picture and recommends that they talk to a priest named Father Caster, yeah. who has spent most of his career studying the Disciples of the Ram, which is a throwback to the Annabelle movie or mm-hmm. movies. Quick side note, uh, the Disciples of the Ram is not real. It is purely invented for the Warren verse, mm-hmm. uh, which I kind of was disappointed. But um, also, <laughs> that's like a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Fun little fact. One of my best friend's husbands is a registered Satanist. 
Which like actually part of the satanic temple and everything is as a card too. More deeply referenced in our episode of which episode is that? I don't remember. <laughs> like she said, um, Satanists are not quite what films and movies and books would like us to think they are. So we're just going to do a quick word about Satanism in real life. As yeah. discussed in some of our other episodes, the religion is not at all what is per- perpetuated by the satanic panic. Yeah. 80s in America was like the breeding ground for what they labeled the satanic panic. And it was basically just mass media fueled shitstorm uh, just to scare people. <laughs> and yeah. people, of course, took it to heart and started freaking out. People fear what they don't understand or what is different period uh the media promoted the idea of a satanic cult which i think by calling it a cult that itself tells you it's different than the religion okay let's separate those (laughs) satanic cult is basically the anti-catholic which yeah like satanism itself is kind of separate the satanic cult idea that really spurred the satanic panic was Um, based in Catholicism it wasn't its own religion like we talked about so since then things related to the satanic panic are actually referred to as satanic ritual abuse because people recognize now that it was not at all based on actual satanism there are two recognized satanic churches in the United States Mm -hmm. um None of those churches are associated with any sort of uh, sacri- like human sacrifices and stuff like that. If yeah, that's not a thing. They've never actually proven that any Satan cults or offspins have been the cause of uh, like murders. And those who say it was in the name of Satan aren't actually members of those churches. They just kind of took their own version. Like I said, they are the catholic version of a satanist so Mm -hmm. uh that's just something that i felt like was important to say because we don't want to promote more um satanic ritual abuse Uh, or the most documented claims of satanic rituals being murders or leading to murders are mostly just law enforcement not or like taking things into their own hands Um, or unsubstantiated statements from children that were kind of led that way because this is also the time when psychologists were doing not entirely ethical things (laughs) uh, to get people to confess things and the West Memphis 3 case which is huge um, in our history is a great example of the satanic panic basically Mm -hmm. But I just wanted to put that little clip in there real fast. So, back to the movie. They drive out to meet Father Castor, who lives on a farm, like, mill type thing. <laughs> yeah, it's like on a, like, a water mill, but it's a farm, and it's, yeah, it's, there's a lot there. And apparently a mine. I don't know. It was really weird. Yeah. Uh, he says that he has seen totems like it, and he's like, yeah, you should probably just stop. And they're like, yeah, we don't really have a choice. So then he starts leading them down into his version of the artifact room which is fucking crazy and on the way down there lorraine is just like i don't want to go down there yeah she straight just says that says that and you're like yeah that's a bad place so this is setting up the idea that there are other evils that are almost more evil than what they deal with and that's kind of what this whole movie is about when he gets into the artifact room 
Lorraine is like, wow, you should really just burn these. <laughs> but this is an intentional throwback and inclusion and inclusion to the Conjuring one where she says that you should, we, you should burn all this stuff. And Father Castor goes, I've thought of it, but I felt it was safer to keep them locked. I like uh, I like taking guns off the streets. Basically, that's exactly what, the, what Ed said in the very first one with the reporter where he's like, well, you would only destroy the vessel. Sometimes it's better to keep the genie in the bottle kind of like keeping guns off the street so it's a solid throwback and you see ed and lorraine look at each other and just go well touche like fuck (laughs) basically he's like satanists suck they do bad shit good luck and that's kind of it and then you see the witch old lady type thing uh doing a ritual and it cuts to arnie who is mopping a floor in the prison medic ward and his bucket all of a sudden skitters across the floor. The lights go out. A sleeping patient. This part's creepy. But he like sits up and starts singing some miscellaneous song. And he's like, I know who you are. And then Arnie gets grabbed by a demon and freaks out. Creepiest way to get grabbed by a demon too. From behind. And he grabs your face. And his face is right next to yours. Not cool. It Not was, cool. This was more traditional Warren vs. Wan style. It was more subtle and quiet and totally worked for me. So then it switches back to the Warrens. Um, and it does a little throwback where it's like, oh, the parent family sent us flowers. Which, as we know, didn't really Precious. happen in real life because they weren't great friends. But it's a cute right. little throwback. Uh, Drew calls them and says, hey, a cop recognized our photo. So they go there and they hear about the case of two girls who were in the woods. And... Jessica, one of the girls, stabbed her friend Katie 22 times and then is missing. And they've been searching for her for three months. I just want to note, for some reason, the table they're at looks so awkwardly tall on Lorraine. It's like at her, no, it's like above so her boobs. It's really awkward mm-hmm. looking. Uh, but they offer like this little comedic moment. So the officer doesn't believe that Lorraine is psychic. So he brings three knives and is like, okay, you need to prove it to me. Which one is it? And the officers behind them, they're like in a glass interrogation room kind of looking thing. Um, but the officers behind them, at first they were all working diligently. But when he brings out the knives, they're all like crowded around looking. They're all super focused on like what's going on in the room. She's like, it's this one. And then <laughs> um, two cops like hand off money. Trade money. Because they were betting. <laughs> Uh, and Ed's face, every time she shows off, uh, she doesn't show off, but every time she does something like that and just shuts people down, he's like such a proud, he's so proud. Mm-hmm. So then it jumps back to Arnie who's in prison and he's being visited by Debbie and David. He looks again, fucking awful. He's tired. He's sweating. He's very pale. David knows instantly what's wrong. Um, and poor David is so articulate about how awful it was to be possessed. He's like, Oh, yeah, I remember how it felt. You were cold all the time, and you could hear all these voices, and it, at points you couldn't tell which thought was yours and which was theirs, and it, it was telling him to kill himself. And I was like, wow, an eight-year-old fought those voices off. Amazing. So then it jumps back to the Warrens, and they are with this police officer wandering. Jumping. Always jumping. The Always scenes. jumping. Breaking up the horror. Uh, they are in the woods with this police officer, meandering to the place where jessica stabbed her friend katie ed still has a cane and it looks awful he's like sweating and dying and he can't breathe because he just had an awful heart attack uh lorraine is leading the way and then she does her very lorrainian 
phrase of Ed, something terrible happened Lorainian. to <laughs> And then they do the wand transition and I love it. I was fi- I was so happy to finally see that happen. So Lorraine is standing over where, well, she's not standing. I'm sorry. She kneels down because she gets a feel for the place. And she's kind of like they do the sweeping camera thing and it's beautiful. And she sees these hands come around from a tree and it's super creepy. But it turns out that it is the girls running because she has done another one of her like astro projection into the past vision quest type deals. Yeah. And it's nighttime in her vision so the transition is ultra beautiful so Lorraine like takes off running after these girls she sees Jessica give Katie like this little charm bracelet thing and it totally seems like they might have a little something something extra going on it's exactly what I was thinking um it's (laughs) totally precious until (laughs) Jessica starts stabbing Katie and Mm -hmm. it kind of jumps back and forth a little bit you see jessica stabbing once you get the idea that jessica is stabbing katie it switches to lorraine as ed sees her and she again has taken the place of the murderer just like in the amityville house and it shows her like doing the actions of stabbing poor katie and then right it shows jessica she's like oh shit what did i do and jessica slash lorraine go tape like they start booking it through the forest. Ed's chasing her, having a heart attack at the same time, basically. Um, Lorraine gets to the sheer cliff, stops, turns around. Ed is there, and she's like, oh. And then a hand it's grabs daytime, her. all of a sudden. <laughs> and then a hand reaches from over the cliff and pulls her down. And, of course, Ed has his impeccable life-saving timing, grabs her, pulls her back up over the cliff. And they realize that Jessica... While she was running through the woods at night, had accidentally ran off the cliff, basically. They find her body. She goes to the morgue. They do this little skit where Ed is with a paramedic. The paramedic's like, here, take this nitro, which is a medication for his heart because he's basically having a heart attack. And Ed goes, oh, yeah, the doctor gave me these, but I never carry them with me. And Lorraine just looks at him like, are you fucking stupid? And... Then they get a phone call from Debbie, who is like, you need to help me. Arnie's going to kill himself or something bad's going to happen. So they say, call the prison. Tell him to put him under 24-hour watch. If you need help, call the prison chaplain. That poor guy again. <laughs> I know. He's he's so out of his league with this shit right now. Really, though. Uh, so then you see Arnie in the... the Suicide watch. Yeah. The chaplain comes up all sneaky-like and is like, everyone gets to protect themselves, gives them like a tiny shot glass worth of holy water, (laughs) and is like, good luck, (laughs) wanders off. Uh, So Arnie sprinkles the holy water in a circle around him, climbs inside, and starts praying. There definitely was not enough water in that vial to build that whole circle. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. But you know, it's it's, a movie. It's holy water, so, you know. Refillable. So it's just drop by drop. It's just perfect. Refillable magic water. And then it jumps to the Warrens where they're in the hotel room and they say, they're trying to like puzzle it together and Lorraine's like, curses can be broken. The demon is not there by free will. She figures out that she can share her visions with the evil Satanist lady. And so they come up with this great idea to go to the funeral home 
so that she can touch the body of Jessica and see, I'm sorry, yeah, the body of Jessica and see if yeah. that connection is still there. Fun little fact, the funeral home that they go to is called the, um, the Paul, I always say this wrong, Paul Mary Funeral Homes. And this is a hint and a throwback to the Annabelle, Annabelle movies because in, um, I think it's, I believe it's the first Annabelle, the couple that moves into those apartments, they're called the, the um, Paul Mary Apartments. And when Annabelle comes home, one of the girls has a crush on a boy whose name is Bob Palmieri. So it's all incorporated. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure why they keep using that name. I couldn't find like a specific reason, but it's pretty cool that they yeah, do I don't that. know. They break into the morgue because it's closed. Of course, it's like midnight. And they go down and find Jessica's body, which... Should... My favorite is Ed breaking the glass and he's like, we'll leave a note. <laughs> um, Jessica's body should not have been that put together uh, if it had been in the water for or just left out on a table like that um but if it had been in the water for three months it basically would have been nothing or just like a soapy adipose grossness um like jello is what i would imagine <laughs> yeah real life it would have been not Gro really gross yeah not like that <laughs> or probably even a full body to be honest especially if there were fish yeah. Mm -hmm. uh but lorraine grabs her hand does a great job just being absolutely disgusted she does get the connection she sees the altar she gets all these clues about where it could possibly be located and she is seeing the satanist possess arnie to break the bottle of the holy water and then use a shard to try and cut himself mm -hmm. and lorraine makes it stop by yelling something like by the blood of calvary i command it i have no idea what that mm -hmm. means but i'm sure it's religiously important something like that or the blood of calgary i don't know something like that um and then in a very harry potter twist like voldemort and harry she discovers that the connection goes both ways and that the satanist yeah. can also see her now that she knows she's there and she's like huh uh so then I had hoped that when that connection went both ways, Jessica's hand would grab onto Lorraine's. I thought that would have been such a cool touch, but it didn't. That would have been cool, but yeah. Um, and this is when you first get like a really good look of the dark lady, as I will call her from now on, uh, instead of Satanist. <laughs> but the dark lady, and she, like we said, just looks the part. Mm -hmm. um, She's very eerie. Just so eerie. Yes. And then, of course, this is when the lights in the morgue time out. Ed turns them on and realizes that a very, very heavy set, large cadaver that had been by the door is no longer there. Okay, I'm going to make a reference to this. Uh, the cadaver reminded me, near to a T, of Dawn of the Dead, the remake, of that lady who gets brought in in a wheelbarrow who had already been bitten, and she dies in one of the, the rooms, and she comes screaming just straight sprinting so this big big lady hauling ass sprinting as a zombie trying to kill somebody but it was a dead reference to that i swear it looked just like it they had taken it from that movie and ed is like begging lorraine he's like please for the love of god let go of that girl's hand um and then he does another just like katie said the thing goes charging at lorraine he does another edwardian swoop and saves her Lorraine's life. Mm -hmm. And then they go back to Drew and Debbie. Kitty, I told you there were going to be cats. 
they go back to uh, Drew and Debbie, where Drew has found a book about human sacrifice, and it talks about how um, it's, it's like one by murder and one by suicide. So Arnie murdered somebody and then committed suicide. Jessica murdered somebody and then ran off a cliff, so basically suicide. Um, I guess they're not too picky about whether it was intentional or not. <laughs> um, and they find out that the only way to break the curse is to destroy the altar. Uh, Ed passes out because he should not be doing this much post-surgery. And he wakes up in his bed and he calls for Lorraine. She doesn't respond. I find the wooden wallpaper paneling in their house to be so interesting. Um, just yeah, saying. It's, it, it's a thing. <laughs> Uh, he goes downstairs, the door's been broken into, the leaves are blowing into the house, people are missing, and he sees the dark lady who's like flipping through their occult book collection. And at first when she said, wow, you guys have quite the collection, I thought she was talking about the artifact room. But now I'm realizing that that artifact room is probably like tiny shit to her. Because if she had been truly intentionally evil, she would have like opened like released annabelle or something but that like like we said this is a different kind of evil it's another level mm-hmm. so then she says something cryptic disappears um lorraine sees that big ass cadaver thing again attacking him and it turns out that he is about to stab lorraine and the evil witch thing has possessed him so he starts tearing through the house looking for this totem god for drew thank god for drew yes drew (laughs) ends up saving lorraine this time and like breaking ed's Mm -hmm. concentration um they find this little totem thing in a bouquet of flowers that was dead um they like smash it and all black i was trying to figure out how she fit the altar into that vase because it's like a ship in a bottle thing i'm like there's for real did she build the vase around it i don't know it was interesting Uh, But basically, he's been targeted. They know who they are. And Ed and Drew start researching, like, location for the altar is at Father Castor's little farm mill thing, which is where Lorraine just went to. He goes down into the artifact room. Lorraine's, like, waiting at the top of the stairs because she hates the vibes coming from there. He shares this story out of this little photo album of the secret tryst, which he had had, which is not what you're supposed to do as a man of God. And he had had a daughter with a woman who died in childbirth in 1932. He snuck her into this hole where he's been studying the occult and raised her there. And she became obsessed with Satanism. Oh my God. I'm sorry. Your cat just fucking pushed the door and it made it look like you're like you straight up had a fucking ghost because your door just started moving. And then all of a sudden he like poked his head out. <laughs> he's following the ghost that opened the door for him we have gentle ghosts yes you're right i have a cat lady for a ghost <laughs> <laughs> she just likes to sit there and pet him um so then you find out that his daughter is indeed the dark lady and she is using mm-hmm. the tunnels like we said for some reason this is like some mining shed <laughs> i don't know um but something i have no idea there's a bunch of tunnels under the attached to this farmhouse thing Um, that she's been using those tunnels for her altar room and timing she shows up right as Lorraine runs into these tunnels to find her altar and of all the like maze that that could have been it she just like runs straight and there it is (laughs) like she doesn't even have to go yeah 
Um, mm-hmm. Ed gets to the house. Here's Lorraine yelling through a grate. So he grabs a sledgehammer, breaks open the lock, jumps into the tunnels, and is like chasing her voice. Lorraine, meanwhile, is running away from the dark lady and it turns into like Mm -hmm. some funhouse mirror type deal where she's like looking at her own ass running up and down (laughs) it's really that was weird i didn't understand it but it was really cool that Um, shit would have scared the fuck out of me because i wouldn't have wanted to turn around because i I, like knowing that something is behind you chasing you even if it's yourself uh, that would still mess with me so badly yeah it was like i said it's like a funhouse mirror effect it's weird uh, she turns around the dark lady like tackles her to the ground trying to stab her in the face she gets I don't know she like hits her with a rock she's free and then it shows the dark lady appears in front of Ed blows some shit in his eyes um, and then so he's hallucinating again another movie where right. poor Ed just gets wrecked by the way like in all the movies he is just getting physically beaten and Lorraine is like trying to puzzle things <laughs> it's just it's yeah interesting so when he uh this this goes back to another easter egg um when she blows that into his face and everything he starts hallucinating and he has this sledgehammer in his hand and you know he's been limping this entire movie so it's actually a silly like a serious throwback to the shining and a really nice nod to it because this is when jack hunts down his family with a limp and an axe and now ed has a sledgehammer with a limp and is going after after Lorraine with a so like it's a whole the whole thing but uh originally I think it I think this kind of goes back to um the actual shining book itself because in the book it is not an axe that um Jack has it's actually I believe it's a mallet and or a sledgehammer um but they changed it because they thought it'd be scarier with an axe. So it might be like an actual throwback to the original like book itself, which I think is kind of cool too. So they double did it. Facts. They double dipped. Yeah. Um, Normally we don't like that, but we do this time. Yeah. <laughs> so um, while he's trying to kill Lorraine with a sledgehammer, even though he thinks it's not Lorraine, uh, Arnie meanwhile is at the prison coming out of a sedation and the priest is still reading the Bible. Of course, the lights start flickering. Shit pops off. Again, there's another sensory overload. There's tons of noise and lights. And it's jumping back and forth. And it was too much. But whatever. Um, Arnie starts having... They just want you to know a possession is happening. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All of that just to say, I'm here. Um, 100%. Arnie starts having those like body crackling, distorting possession thing going on. The priest is doing his best in English again. (laughs) Clearly not trained for this. Um, Arnie starts floating and is about to cut himself with glass. Debbie grabs his arm and is like, I love you. Don't do this. Um, And then it cuts to Lorraine, who is again doing like this lovey-dovey. It's me, Ed. It's me. I hate this. Remember part. me. I hate this part. Remember me. Exactly. Yeah, I I felt that too. Um, it was too. There's too much love in this horror movie. That's not what I go to horror movies for. <laughs> the love overpowers all. Um, he breaks through the curse, smashes the table, it which ends the curse. Destroys the altar. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I meant. Um, the, yeah. The dark lady's like, what did you do? And then they were like, you still owe the demon a soul. And the demon oh, comes up. This was beautiful. This was fucking 
beautiful. I just have to say, with the way that it's done, he sorry. The demon, of course, is pissed because he was just being used as a pawn in this lady's game for power. Um, contorts her body in this, like she just said, beautiful imagery, and kills her, taking her soul. And the reason that I like this and this part of the movie is because it again is saying that demons don't necessarily spend their whole lives like being like I want to go to earth and torture people because this demon was like I don't want to be here you made me come here and I was just doing what like you're it was the people are evil right that's the problem you promised me a soul I was here to help I don't want to fucking be here. Now I'm going to take your soul because you didn't fucking feed. Well, and it wasn't even that it wanted a soul. It was like, I can't go home until you give me a soul. It was like, I don't want to be right. here. I just want to go home to my fire yeah. and brimstone and demon family. Like, leave me alone. Um, but I have demon babies for God's sakes. My spawn. <laughs> <laughs> but basically the moral of the movie was love conquers all. Yeah. So the main piece that they take from this haunting, which I think is cool, is like the goblet that she uses for uh, the dark lady uses for her spell and everything. And it is one of the coolest goblets I have ever seen. So I honestly was disappointed with the goblet because. Oh, really? Yes. So I thought like when I first saw it through the visions, I thought it was like a rotted, like petrified hand. Um, holding mm. the goblet, which to me is way more, that I would have been really. Cool. I do human sacrifice than an antler. Mm -hmm. Like an antler just is like, oh, anyone could do that. But like a petrified black hand, dude. I thought it looked so pretty though. I thought it was really pretty. And then it ends with Arnie going to trial. He's convicted of manslaughter, where he served five years. Um, he married Debbie, and it's like, oh, they're still married. Everybody's happy. Love. Love conquers all. All you need is love. So after that really long synopsis, <laughs> we are going to blow through the true life things, which I have a shit ton of information about because I could not stop researching it. It was incredibly interesting. Are you ready to go through this? Uh-huh. Okay. The true David Glatzel investigation. So I pulled my... Um, the bulk of my information um, from an article in the Hartford Current uh, for, dated June 2021, um, which is kind of a viewpoint of Carl, which I'll introduce later, and a, another one from a 1981 Washington Post article. So this is while the haunting was happening. This is an article written then. And this is from the view of another character that isn't in the movie, but I'll introduce. So at the time of the Ed and Lorraine investigation, David Glatzel was 11. These events started in 1979 in Brooksville, Connecticut, where the family, plus Arnie, had bought a dream house on Old Hollisville Road. In addition to his sister, Debbie, who was 27 at the time, um, he had an older brother, Carl, who was the middle child um, I want to say he was maybe 18 at this time, but that is who some of these articles are like. It's from his perspective. Uh, he is very outspoken about the experience and not in a positive way. <laughs> Debbie mm. has also given some interviews, but she, for the most part, hasn't been nearly as outspoken as Carl. Arnie at the time was 20, so 
Debbie and Arnie have a seven-year age difference. Carl says that originally it presented his hallucinations and delusions in David, which got worse until about 1982, and it just kind of stopped. Uh, from the Warrens' point of view, here's the story of what happened. There was a waterbed that was left behind in the house, but when they first got there, David would not lay on it because he was afraid he would get like a seasickness, like a motion sickness. And later, David said that in that day, he felt like something had pushed him onto the bed. And then he saw a man in a torn plaid shirt and jeans who said, beware. And he said that later that day, he saw that same man, but he looked black and burned and had feet like a deer. So that's that's where you're getting the uh, the Catholic devil imagery Catholic, with the whole hooved feet. <laughs> Did I say Catholic? Yeah. <laughs> My <Yeah>. bad. <laughs> so, so this is where um, you get the. Uh, I almost said. I almost said it again. <laughs> this is where you get the the Catholic devil uh, devil imagery with the hooved feet and the kind of dark idea like of brimstone uh, burning thing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um. Chavez says that in the original cut of the movie, they did include this visual of the demon, like this hooved, typical Satan vision. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they did the screen testing, it didn't take well, and it because it made the story too, like convoluted for the people who were watching it. The goal for this movie, he said, was to focus on the detective work that the Warrens did and have a final conclusive ending, which is different than the other movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then having like this Satan demon type thing i guess just didn't it was too open-ended at the end so david's mom was a believer in the supernatural and had been to a warren's lecture before so she instantly believed what he was saying Um, and at first she thought it was just a ghost but this is kind of where skeptics could argue things went really wrong if the mother is promoting these visions of the child and mm-hmm. he's getting all sorts of attention from it, then it makes a good argument for it being more psychological rather than um, demonic. Right. Kind of making his mom or his mom kind of leading him into the attention or unintentionally leading him to see these and continue making these Im- imagery exactly. things in his head. Exactly. So. so the Warrens were called to investigate 12 days after he fell onto the waterbed. They lived in Monroe, Connecticut, which was just like down the street, basically from Brooksfield. So it was easy for them to get there. They say that just over the course of that 12 days, things had gotten markedly worse for David. His like possessions were really starting to happening. He was choking himself. He was having like seizure-like fits. He was shouting profanities, attacking his mom. It was like very The Exorcist Reagan, just all those things. Hmm. Judy Glatzel who's the mother, and the Warrens say that there were warning signs when what they would start to call the beast is about to take possession of David. Um, they are quoted as saying he lowers his head to his chest and then he slowly lifts it. And when he does, his features have contorted into a snarl and there is nothing to be seen but the whites of his eyes. So he like rolls his eyes to the back of his head. And then he would like, do this super creepy laugh, which coming from a kid, I can only imagine. Even fucking better. (laughs) Um, So Judy believed that the number of spirits that were possessing David was 43 demons and two devils. And I was like, there are two devils? Um, Damn. But, okay. 
Uh, and that was one up from the original 42 demons and one devil that she thought were there when the possession first began. So she thinks that a second devil was like, yo, bro, I want to get in on that party and jumped on it. Holy shit. That's so many fucking things. Um, I don't know how you would like put a number to that. Um, unless they were doing like a split thing, but you know, roll call, everybody yeah. roll call. <laughs> really? Um, God. At first, there were attempts to help David using what the Warrens call deliverances, which are basically just like weak pretend exorcisms. So, you know, pretty much what the prison priest was doing. Exactly. <laughs> um, what I assume, at least. Yeah. The uh, St. Joseph's Parish, which was like their reigning church in that mm -hmm. area. Um, they also did a mass in that home with a hope of just kicking him out, I guess, like kicking the things out with all their holiness mm -hmm. uh the bishop of bridgeport so i have no idea how the hierarchy of catholicism works but a bishop i guess is running this shit uh, he's the mayor of these people <laughs> he refused to authorize an official exorcism a spokesperson for the church at the time father nicholas grieco says one that priests are not allowed to speak to the press so they couldn't you know give them their side of the story but he also gave an explanation as to why they were not allowed to do an exorcism of poor David. And his version is that the Glatzels would not consent to a psychological test required by the church. Hmm. Uh, I think it's great that they have like all these steps to prove it. And I think it's cool that one of them includes a psychological test that definitely would help right. like skepticism, you know. Um, but Mama Judy said they did take David to a psychiatrist once, and the conclusion of that was that he wanted the family to come back for a full family session, which to me doesn't bode well for what he heard. But I don't think they ever went back. I think the, she was just like, okay, you're a crock or whatever. We did what they wanted, like check the block. Um, but they believed that the church wanted to do like a witch hunt type interview where they were going to like poke him and prod him and do all these kinds of things. And kind of, I don't know, just, I don't know. Judy was very skeptical of what the church wanted, but I guess the church wanted them to go to a psychologist or psychiatrist that they had approved basically. So it's like insurance, you know, you can't just go to anyone. You have to go to someone they validated. Yeah. Um, and they refused to do that, which is why. So the family just kind of put up with it. Um, Arnie is reported to have challenged the demons, just like he did in the movie. Debbie recalls that she, once he did that, she started seeing the possession signs appear in Arnie, which she placed, like she said, happened five different times. And he was like seeing that little demon thing and he was growling and doing all these weird things. Hmm. Um, it is reported that Lorraine had been calling the Brooksfield police for months before this possession happened to tell them that something potentially dangerous was going to happen at that address. And that would, that would have been before the Glatzels moved in. She also called them the day after the murder to inform them Arnie was possessed. Carl believes that it was all a hoax promoted by the Warrens, but it sounds like his family played a huge role before the Warrens even arrived on scene because pretty much everyone in his family was like, Oh yeah, we see all the signs of possession. We've all seen the demon. My daughter's been attacked. Like they were all playing with it. So and so maybe that's why they didn't include carl in the movie <laughs> he would have sued them and i'll tell you later why <laughs> maybe 
makes sense. Uh, so then we get to the murder. The murder. Murder. Um, so this information I pulled from the Washington Post article dated September 13, 1981. It was written by Lynn Darling. And this is written from the viewpoint of Wanda Johnson, who is Arnie's younger sister. So Arnie and Debbie... I'm going to do a little bit of a backstory about their relationship. Um, Arnie and Debbie met at a supermarket when he was 12. She was 19. Um, he says it was love at first sight. She was like, you are a child. Back up. Wait for him to stick with it. Debbie, I guess, kind of became like a babysitter for their family. And she was friends with the, his mom, who was Mary. When Arnie was 16, which means Debbie would have been 23, she, he asked her out. And she was like, okay. And they fell in love super fast. Uh, by then, Arnie had dropped out of high school and was kind of just working odd jobs because his mother was a single mom of like three or four kids. And so he was helping just make the ends meet. Yeah, he was just doing his doing his thing. Uh, his mom became ill at some point and had to quit her job. So Debbie and Arnie took over running the house. They took care of the kids. Basically, they were like playing family and house. So mm -hmm. through all of that, that kind of like really cemented their relationship. Debbie was approached by a man named Alan Bono to help run the Brooksfield Kennels. She did all the work and he literally just sat around and drank. She says they all became really quick friends and the couple loved hearing about his days abroad. So he had managed the kennels for six months Alan Bono. He previously had lived in Australia where he'd managed a plantation for 17 months. Then he moved to Florida and then he ended up in Connecticut managing the kennels which his sister had owned. So he was kind of like bro this place sucks but listen to how cool my life is and I guess he like never shut up talking about himself. He's described as being 40 years old, short, stocky and he liked to talk about himself. Um, all the things he'd done, the places he'd seen. So just like the guy in the movie and he was always drunk and would keep saying, I'll give up drinking next Saturday. So on February 16th, 1981, Arnie Johnson did indeed call in sick to his work at the Wright Tree Service. He claimed to have a sore throat. Debbie, as we said, did work at the Brooksfield Boarding Kennels. Um, so she, Arnie, his younger sister, Wanda, who was 15, Janice, who was 13, also a sister, and then... Uh, Debbie's cousin Mary who was eight went with her to work that day on the day on this day uh, they went to work Alan Bono took them to lunch they came back Debbie Arnie and Alan had some wine and then he was like Arnie fix my stereo and then as soon as he fixed it just like in the movie he turned it up way too fucking loud and Wanda describes it as being like scraping the nerves, which is exactly how I felt watching that scene. So I guess good job. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, Debbie took the girls for pizza and is reported to have told them that they needed to hurry and get back. Um, like she could sense that something was wrong. And here mm -hmm. is where the movie and the story, as told by Wanda, kind of like really differ. So when the girls return, um, Alan Bono takes all of them upstairs to his apartment where he is like playing the tv way too loud and then he just like starts manically like punching his fist into his hand and to me it sounds like he was on drugs yeah um debbie tried to get everybody to leave because she was like this is awkward i don't want to be here 
and Alan grabbed baby Mary, who was eight, and tried to like keep them in the room. Wanda says that at this point, Arnie came walking into the room and everything kind of just went downhill from there. Uh, the two youngest girls ran to the car. Debbie stood between Arnie and Bono and was trying to like mellow them out. And Wanda describes pulling on Arnie's arm, trying to get him to go outside, but that he was just like stone. They say that he started to growl and then he stabbed Bono like super fast five times and then he just like walked off into the woods <laughs> um, um this imagery is beautiful right here and i kind of wish they'd kept this part in the film because they show him attacking the demon but they don't show like alan afterwards wanda says that after arnie had stabbed him and left he was still punching his fist for a few seconds before he collapsed because it just it happened so fast Interesting. One of the wounds was described to have gone from the heart to the base of his abdomen. So it was very like Jack the Ripper, which takes a lot of time, in, like not time because uh, it happened fast, but it takes a lot of strength and energy to have done that. So yeah, for real. That's brutal. It kind of, to me, sounds like Arnie and uh, Bono had done drugs together while the girls were getting pizza. Because yeah, he, pretty much. he was blacked out and not in his right mind. Bono was clearly not in his right mind. <laughs> so yeah. I think that might have played for something. I haven't found anything like a toxicology report uh, or anything like that to corroborate that story. But that's what I think what? may have contributed. So then we get into Arnie Johnson's trial. Um, there are courtroom sketches by Ida Libby Dengrove that are actually beautiful they are so colorful and you can buy them and i might <laughs> they are so well done if you can like google them and you'll see they're great uh the parents and sister of david supported the warrens as they sought to prove that arnie was possessed when he murdered the landlord alan bono the courier article says that arnie never actually said that he was possessed he never said hey i was possessed he just kind of said he couldn't remember doing it and everybody else around him was like you were possessed so that's kind of an interesting little tidbit, um, which also corroborates the idea that maybe he was high and just blacked out. <laughs> Arnie's defense right. attorney was Martin Manella, not a female like the movie, but the female was way cooler. Um, mm -hmm. He said that he built what he maintains to this day, a planned defense that was perfectly legitimate and had precedent in England. Two cases that are referenced, they never actually made it before a jury. So people went in and said, hey, we're claiming possession, but it didn't go beyond that. So kind of hard right. to prove precedent at that point. Um, in some interviews, he does phrase things in a way that sound like he is exploiting the church and their belief system in order to get Arnie off. At least more, like it sounds more like he's using the church's beliefs against themselves more than he actually believed that Arnie was possessed. But that's also like his job, just to create reasonable doubt in a jury. Um, but it would be cooler if he believed it. <laughs> Martin Manella's answer for why the possession targeted Alan Bono, this was his response, and I think it makes me giggle. Um, think about it, he says. What's the guy's name? Bono, right? And what kind of name is Bono? Italian. So what does Bono mean in Italian? It means good, and evil likes to destroy good. 
I thought that was silly. The Danbury Supreme Court judge at the time was Robert Callahan, and he was like, absolutely not. Will you bring this shit into my court? <laughs> he is quoted as saying, the court will take judicial notice that the profession, the business or hobby of locating demons has not risen to the level of viability where it would be of assistance to the jury in deciding the case. And on a practical level, that completely makes sense. If they allowed somebody to claim possession and it would bring in this whole argument of like the existence of just a slew of shit right and mm. being like your belief system is real and then you'd also have to be like other you'd have to entertain other belief systems it would just be it would be make things really complicated and then you'd have other people being like, oh, yeah, I was possessed. Oh, yeah, I was possessed. Oh, yeah, I was possessed. Totally possessed. Yeah. So yeah. you'd have to, like, rule out those people. Not only that, but if you accept that and you say, yes, he was possessed, people in the rest of the world now have to be like, oh, my gosh, is that real? Like, are there demons mm -hmm. around me? So it would uh, scary idea. However, oh, plus you kind of, like, risk people losing faith in the court system. If people aren't mm -hmm. that religion or whatever. Right. Uh, in the movie, Ed makes a quote about if you say God is real by having them swear on the Bible, then you also have to accept that the devil is real, which I think is a very valid explanation. Mm -hmm. um, the true quote. The minute he said that, I was like, yes, that's fair. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The true quote came from the defense attorney who said, if you believe in the existence of God, you know, the alpha, what's the omega? He said, the devil is the omega, evil. So Ed said it way better, but it is like a true quote. I think there's a simple solution to that, and it's just stop having people swear on religious relics because it's dumb. The chief police officer at the time said he tried really hard to maintain an objective party in the investigation of the murder. He didn't argue that the possession was possible. He also didn't say that it was. Um, he just kind of says, like, this murder did have motive. It seemed very human-like. Like, nothing about it seemed really outlandish. And he just really didn't want his town to become the next Amityville. He didn't want all the crazy tourism and the dark, you know, craziness coming to his town. He did get a ton of letters from people being like, um, I can help you, or I had a vision of you. And I guess a priest once called him and was like, hey you guys have evil in your house or like something wild. It was just, he got lots of craziness. And on November 24th, 1981, Arnie was sentenced to 10 to 20 years. He only served five and he did marry Debbie at some, some point during that. So cool. the aftermath in 1983, an author named Jared Brittle wrote the devil in Connecticut to explore whether possession was psychological or theological. So basically, is it truly an evil entity or is it all in the person's head? He states that his research led him to believe possession by entity was possible because of the similarities in possess possession cases seen across the world. This book was reprinted in 2006, and that is when Carl and David Glatzel sued, uh, they sued the author, the publisher, and Lorraine Warren, Ed had died earlier that year which is like so sad <laughs> kick her while she's down but he applied to the supreme court for permission to attach lorraine's warren's property for five hundred thousand dollars in advance of the lawsuit which i found really interesting it was a weird request 
The case was instantly dismissed. The files have since been destroyed, and Brittle says in his interview that Carl is just making wild accusations grounded in no truth. However, due to the complaint, his book had been taken out of print until this year because of this movie. So I'm interested to see what Carl does. Um, but yeah, I think that's why he wasn't in the movie. He didn't consent to it. He would have sued the shit out of them. <laughs> um, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to sue them. Uh, we'll see. Uh, be interesting. But he says that basically rehashing this story has ruined his life and his brother's life. He can't get a job. His business suffered. Um, so he's responding. He was like, you know what? If I can't beat him, I'm going to join him. And he is writing a book with a professional author um, of his version of events. And he says, this story has a twist to it and you'll see it soon enough. Uh, what we have is phenomenal. So I'm interested to see what he comes out with. That'll be interesting, yeah. So the original book in 1983, it sells for $870 to $2,000. And so with the new movie coming out, they did restart printing this and it's available for normal price on audiobooks, Kindle, and print. So you don't have to pay $2,000 to find this book. I know. <laughs> Wild. Because fuck that. Um, and then just as a fun side note, Ed and Lorraine have co-authored a series of books detailing their investigations, which are available all over the place as well. And this reprint of this story makes number seven in that series. Hell yeah. David Johnson had lots of mental health issues, just like Janet. Uh, I guess that's a thing. <laughs> um, not surprisingly. Whether no. he was possessed or not, I could see why. Um, he kind of fell off. Nobody really knows where he's at. I couldn't find him or like what he's been up to. His brother, I think, has helped protect him and keep him out of the limelight by one, shouldering the limelight by pointing it at himself constantly, but also uh, just being the outspoken one. It's a good older brother. And Arnie Johnson has also flown under the radar. I couldn't find anything about his life, really, except for that he had two kids with Debbie. Unfortunately, Debbie died last year i think or beginning of this year like right before the movie release she died of cancer so that was sad um she remained in contact with lorraine i am assuming that she probably didn't have a lot of contact with the other kids in her family <laughs> with her brothers because probably, of their probably not that stick with me we're almost done will there be a conjuring four in an interview michael chavez hinted at the future of conjuring staying saying that in the 80s they could explore the satanic panic even more. Lorraine would work with detectives and police departments during this time, um, which I thought was super fucking interesting. So there was actually a lot of psychics and clairvoyance working with police departments in the 80s, so much so that the Department of Justice actually issued a handbook in 1989 because so many departments were working with psychics. Um, it's called Psychic Criminology, and I am totally going to do lots of research on this. I pulled up that handbook. It's very interesting. And I think I'm going to give it... Of course you are. I know. I think I'm going to give it its own episode sometime. Uh, just like a little mini episode. She says knowing mini doesn't mean mini. Um, <laughs> yeah. They did have cases reported to the DOJ while they were doing their research that psychic consultants provided helpful information on many cases. I, I don't know. I just think that's interesting. Um, there's an episode of Ghost Whisperer where she works with the FBI and the FBI says, oh, are you registered? And she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, 
And I thought that was just a thing that they put into that world. I didn't realize it was real. Like you can actually register yourself with the Department of Justice to work with police departments. Too bad Phoebe didn't do that with their police department. <laughs> Probably good she didn't. They wouldn't have let it. Yeah, that's true. I looked up real quick some possible cases that could be made into movies. I wanted to find out more about what they were doing in the 80s. But again, I think I'm going to put the Warrens, like a actual breakdown of their life, into a different episode because we just have so much to cover. I think a spinoff looking at Ed's nephew, his name is John Zaffis. He started working as an apprentice for them and kind of branched off as an, on his own and has his own like set of cases that he worked on investigating paranormal activity. They investigated a haunting at West Point, the Army Military Academy. The officers complained about a ghost moving objects around, which later they identified as a spirit named Greer. After some research, it was believed that the spirit was that of Lawrence Greer, which I just said, okay, who was a Buffalo soldier turned murderer. However, after his trial, there is no record of what happened to the soldier. Um, there's another one called the South End Werewolf Case. Uh, I don't think it would be its own movie, but perhaps like an opening. This is the reason you see an, a werewolf in Annabelle something. One of the Annabelles. This is this is when you see a werewolf attack a boy outside. Really? Okay. See, I was going to say, I don't think it would make its own story, but I think it would be a great. No, but it makes it in it. It, would, it is seen already. It would be like yeah. a clip. Okay. Well, quick background on that one then. Uh, Bill Ramsey, also known as the South End Werewolf is who this investigation is based off when ramsey was nine years old he apparently ripped a fence post off the ground and began acting like a wild animal then he grew up and it became worse he bit and attacked a stranger a nurse and finally a police officer eventually he was taken to a mental hospital where the doctors couldn't explain his condition as a mental illness he was released and came to the united states where he met the warrens or he met the warrens in england and came back here with them i wasn't clear on that i didn't do a whole lot of research a priest did perform an exorcism, which cured him of his werewolfness, so interesting that that could work, uh, but not before people saw him turn into a partial werewolf, so I just thought that was a fun story. Interesting. Um, they have also opened up avenues to do kind of like an origin story of Ed and Lorraine. Although they met at 16, they weren't married until Ed was home on survival leave during World War II. The boat that he had been assigned to sank, and he was like one of the only survivors, so they could do like a haunted story on that, which would be kind of interesting. That would be interesting. But that is all I have. She says two hours later. Uh, thus bada bing, bada boom, and fifteen pages of notes later. Bippity <laughs> boo. Uh, that is the end of Conjuring Three: The Devil Made Me Do It, which was what the case was called, which is why the movie is called that. I didn't throw that in there, but it should be obvious. It was a great movie. Go see it either in theater or at home. If you have like a sensory sensitivity, do it from home. Do it at home. Stream it on HBO Max. It's it's a really good watch. It's really entertaining. And um, for our next episode, which will come out in a time from now, because we need a break, uh, you can follow us on Instagram at... Horror underscore cats underscore witch hats. You can find us on Facebook at the same thing, horror underscore cats underscore witch hats. You can send us an email with your movie reviews, preferences, notes, whatever you want. At uh, horror cats witch hats at gmail.com. All one word. 
And finally, please don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, follow. Don't send me a totem in the mail. Uh, Interact with us, but don't curse us or send us totems or things like that. Yeah. So, pet your cats. We'll see you for our next Give them love. Which is also a 2021 new one. It's on Netflix. Um, Mm -hmm. What is it called? Things Seen and Heard. Go watch it before we release in two weeks. Do it.